0: This is Mike Montero.
1: I'm Erica Hall. This is Larissa Berger. We're broadcasting from Mule Design Studio in beautiful North Beach San Francisco.
0: This is Voice of Design. A pony never becomes a horse. A pony is a pony. A pony is a totally separate thing from a horse. It is not a baby horse. Are you recording?
1: Yeah, I'm recording. Yeah, the, the time is uh, incrementing. Okay, I'm definitely, definitely recording.
0: So a pony is not a horse. No. So what is a pony? We've established what it's not. It's a stubby equine.
1: There are ponies and then there are mini horses.
0: And I'm not sure what the
1: difference is between a pony and a mini horse. Like a mini horse is a small horse.
0: So is a mini horse. I mean, is it like small, medium, large? Does a mini horse become a horse? No. Okay. So what's a baby horse? A colt. What's a baby pony? A pony colt. You made that up.
1: I did not. I did not make that up.
0: You totally made that up. You don't know. Uh, Yeah. It's been a while since I've spent time around horses. Some quality. Con- is this what is this really what we're doing for people today, making them listen to this?
1: M- well, yeah. It depends on whether this in- gets included in the edit.
0: Oh, God.
1: Yeah. Well, we, li- we like e- equines, right? If we didn't like equines- I tremble for the
0: fate of our country.
1: Our company wouldn't be named Mule, right?
0: A- is a mule an equine?
1: Yeah. It's half a horse.
0: Wait a minute. Half a horse and half a what? Donkey. Okay, so if you can cross a horse and a donkey and get a mule, mm-hmm. what happens when you cross a donkey and a pony?
1: Uh, I, 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 do you get an extra stumpy mule, maybe? I don't I don't know. I mean, I assume there's pony mules. There's pony I mean, this, cakes. this
0: is the kind of animal husbandry content that people log into this podcast for.
1: Log into the podcast. Do I don't know what the log- fuck.
0: I don't know how you listen to a podcast. No one does. I've never That's listened to a podcast in my life. It's, I don't even it's know true. why we do this. Yeah. So we just, do- I am in such a mood. You, you are in a mood. I am in a mood. And why are you in a mood? You should be happy. I'm in a, uh, I, I don't want to get into it.
1: Okay. Well, why
0: should I be happy?
1: Well, cause, cause you wrote a book and your book's out. God. What?
0: So it's the third one, and the first two haven't made me happy, so.
1: Oh, so then why did why did you go back to do it again? <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, is this what you actually want to talk about today? Not animal husbandry?
1: Oh, well, I figured it was Why related. is it called
0: animal husbandry, by the way, and not like animal, like, wife or Or why it got to be gendered at all? Because oh, everything's gendered. Well,
1: yeah, and then people have gender reveal parties and set parks on fire. I, geez, yeah. I
0: don't even want to talk about that. Yeah, what do, you, what do you mean they're setting parks on fire?
1: Yeah, there was that whole that huge wildfire that was started when somebody did like a gender reveal with an explosive, and like burned like thousands of acres of land.
0: This this seems like something that I I am. Uh, Ignorantly unsuited to comment on, so I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna sit here flipping through my book.
1: Your book, which is done, which is in physical form. It's it's in, in your physical hands. form. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, I'm
0: flipping through it. There's words. There's,
1: <laughs> it exists. It exists. So let's let's talk about your your book that you're you're flipping through while yeah. you're having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, so so what's this book called?
0: The book is called Ruined by Design. Oh, that- Ruined by Design.
1: That sounds fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, a title like that, it could also be an animal husbandry book.
1: I was going to say, or an autobiography. For, of me? That's autobiographies or of the person who wrote them.
0: Oh, uh, oh, God. I swear to God. How much longer is this show? There's a subtitle, too. Uh, How Designers Destroyed the World. And what we can do to fix it?
1: Oh, so there's like it's it's got a happy ending.
0: I mean, it could it could. It's got a possibility of a happy ending. Uh, it's sort of a choose your own adventure thing, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely a choose your own adventure thing. You can you know choose to give a shit about what you make
1: and how yeah. you spend
0: the time that you have on Earth.
1: Well, so so what's it what's it about? What's it oh. about? Let's let's. Do a little synopsis here. A synopsis, so, a synopsis. Okay. So cue Game of Thrones music.
0: People call it an ethics book, and and uh, I've called it an ethics book at times, but I don't think anybody with like an academic understanding of ethics would call it an ethics book. Why is that? Because it's a little bit more than that. It's. I mean, it. I, lately, I've been calling it an ethics and activism book.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I, I
0: think the activism piece is important in there.
1: Yeah, because the ethics part is just, ah, here's what we maybe should do, and there's not yeah usually a path to then taking action. I mean,
0: I had a conversation with an ethicist, which is apparently a thing that exists. I found out about that while writing the book. There are people out there who call themselves ethicists, yeah, which is different from uh, what... The nails, a manicurist, no, an esthetician, yes, an esthetician. So, what's an yeah. esthetician?
1: Uh, that's somebody who who beautifies you, so that's like aesthetics, right? So, okay, aesthetics is to esthetician, as
0: ethics is to ethicist, ethicist.
1: but weirdly. Weirdly, people who write books about aesthetics, which is another branch of philosophy, are not called aestheticians, <laughs> or maybe they'd be ethicists. Eh, eh, ethics, ethicists. I see. Wow. Yeah.
0: And and this is why academic ethics have got has gotten so far because uh, they've been having this conversation for twenty years. Wow. I mean, I was having a conversation with an ethicist, mm-hmm. self described. Where uh, they tried to convince me that you know, because Nazis were behaving within the system of the of beliefs that they understood to be right, they were behaving ethically. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so and and I was like, uh, fuck you, because Jesus, like, holy, like, no. Yeah, and, I can't. I can't get behind that.
1: Well, I think that's where the difference in morals and, and ethics comes in, because you know this is what I studied in college. I
0: know. Why didn't you write this book?
1: Um. Well, because it's your book. Like I wouldn't write your. That'd be weird if I wrote your book. I could write a book. Plenty
0: of people write books for other people.
1: Okay, me. There's like a writing whole industry. No, yeah. But what, what I can tell you is, yeah, when you talk about. Ethics. You're talking a lot of times. You're talking about a system of guidelines for because because there is a really fuzzy difference between morals and ethics, right? And yeah, usually I don't care ethics. Right, ethics is more systematic, and it is a really fuzzy difference. And I can tell you that one of one of my legitimate greatest conundrums in the realm of problematic faves is that Heidegger, uh, who's a very useful philosopher especially with the kind of work we do, actually was kind of a Nazi.
0: Oh, total Nazi. And, and
1: so that creates a, an issue when you're like, and Heidegger actually had a lot of really valid things to say about human existence. And if you read his work, nothing necessarily in his most famous work, Being in Time, comes across as being like super nazi Like Anne Rand also wrote an ethics book and you read her book and you're like, okay, she's kind of a dick. Don't read her book. Don't read it. Well, I, I mean,
0: I mean, read it if you want, but holy shit, it's so bad. She's such a bad writer. She's a bad writer. She's
1: a terrible writer. And I think like, so my 10th grade British literature teacher had us read The Fountainhead, even though it's totally not British literature. And he was a, kind of a Marxist and he really had an agenda. And I think he had the class read The Fountainhead to inoculate us against
0: objectivism. Did it work?
1: Oh, yeah. Because I I was so angry at that book because, okay, at first you're like, oh, this is cool. It's about architecture because it's sort of based on sure. Frank Lloyd Wright. And you learn things about architecture. And then especially, I think it appeals to people, especially when they're adolescent, because it's like, oh, I'm... I'm coming to terms with who I am as a person. Uh-huh. And the message is you as an individual really matter. And that's a theme that teens are, you know, and people in their oh, early hell yeah. 20s. I mean, that's, are,
0: a, that's a great yeah, thing to...
1: That's what you want to hear is yeah. like, you're, like if you act selfishly, you're acting ethically. And that is a really exciting message for people who are selfish.
0: I, I knew lots of people who like The Fountainhead when they were teenagers. They also liked reading Dynamite and watching Mork and Mindy. There's just things that you grow out of. Like anybody who's still like in their 30s or 40s and talking about the value of The Fountainhead really needs to read a fucking second book.
1: Well, I I think that most people who hear the tenets of objectivism and uh, what was her, I forget what her ethics book was called now, being selfish because it's cool or whatever. I don't think they've read her books. I think it's like, you know, Cooper in Mad Men uh, would hand out copies of Atlas Shrugged to people. I bet in that time period, in that post-war industrialist time period in America, I think people read the books and thought it was great. And there's a a movie of the Fountainhead that I think people watched. But I don't think anybody today really- Nobody watched that movie. I I, I sat in a theater for some reason. Yeah. Why?
0: When did it come out?
1: Oh, a long time. Oh, well, I think, was there a new one? There might've been a new one, but there's like an old black and white one. Oh, like yeah, I think there Cooper. was a new yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. So nobody's read these books, but they hear the ideas and they're like,
0: oh, sweet. Well, I mean, the, the basic idea is it's cool to be selfish, bro. I mean, there, I just saved you from reading The Fountainhead.
1: <laughs> well, it's, I think it's, it's interesting to talk about why she says it's cool to be selfish because- I, I, because I think you get to She's sort of- She's a this horrible,
0: evil woman?
1: Fallacy. Well, her the, her starting place is that if you don't respect yourself and look out for yourself, uh, like you can't sort of participate in the world. It's kind of like what RuPaul says, right? Uh-oh. If if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else, right? And that's basically what Ann Rand is saying.
0: It feels like we're going down a path here of of like making the case for Anne Rand, which I'm I'm off this show.
1: (laughs) No, it's important to understand what where the appeal comes from. Have you been been listening to
0: Joe Rogan or something? Uh,
1: Who is that?
0: He's that, that, uh, that guy that Jack, uh, went on his podcast with twice, oh, no. twice.
1: No, he's like some sort twice. of Nazi. No. So she starts from this place of, I mean, you he's, ha- he's, he's, a, he's a
0: bro, bro. Ugh. Ugh.
1: But what Ayn Rand said is you have value as a person and you have to act in your own interest and your primary ethical duty is to yourself. And if everybody looks out for themselves, then- will end up with a, with a balanced ethical situation. Cause you're always trying to like, like, how do we end up with a situation where people are taken care of? And it's like, you take care of yourself. But the problem is we actually all live in a society and people don't, people are not on an equal footing. Like people end up born like in situations that are kind of hosed. And so this philosophy works out really well for people who are born in a privilege Because they're like, well, clearly I have everything I need to self-actualize. And they ignore the fact that we all have a duty to one another. And that's where it totally
0: breaks down. Do you remember Ann Richards, the governor of um, Texas? Yes. She was the governor of Texas when I lived there. Yeah. And um, she had that amazing quote about uh, George Bush. He was born on third base and he thinks he hit a triple. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, can we talk about That's my exactly book? I, okay. you, you conned me into being on this show.
1: Wait, it's our podcast. Oh, how did yeah. I con you into being oh, on our podcast? I'm supposed to be here. That we do. Yeah, you're supposed to be here. Oh.
0: Anyway, here, going back to what we were talking about, about morals and ethics. Here's how I dealt with it in the intro. I'm reading from page 13. If anyone's oh, following, 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 along along home, your... following along at home. <laughs> please
1: turn your... Grab
0: the... Hymnal to... The hymnal from the back of the back of the pew oh
1: no i i didn't go to church as a you did.
0: Child. how did you really really i i know nothing about your religious background i am not even sure what your name is oh my gosh uh okay so reading from page 13 it i think people listen for the banter
1: <clears throat> yes the good but the stuff in between the banter too
0: okay uh the more pedantic um among you the to you uh, the more pedantic among wow. you will probably make the case that I conflate ethics and morals throughout the book. I'm sure I do. The honest truth is that I just don't care. At no point will I claim to be an ethicist. I'm a designer. My goal is to teach you how to work the right way, and it takes both morals and ethics. Understanding the difference between the two is like understanding the difference between a font and a typeface. It's interesting to know, but it's not going to help you set good type. So there, look, I, I I used a design metaphor. Yeah,
1: that, that that's good, and I, I it, people really like the, like one of the things about if you're if you're a philosopher, you like arguing about definitions of things.
0: Yeah, you love that shit. That's how you get tenure.
1: Yeah, but when it comes down to it, it, it is pretty fuzzy. Who and cares? Interrelated. And who I mean, cares? that's not the goal. Yeah,
0: the goal of this book is not to explain design ethics. Mm -hmm. It's not to, to uh, make a case for, it's not to, it is not to prove to you how smart I am because, you know, uh, I'm not very smart at all. I went to a state school and I learned just enough to be dangerous. And I didn't write this to prove that I was smart. I wrote it so that people could understand it and read it and argue about it and fight about it and uh, throw it at people if need be. I don't care if you think I'm smart. I care that you get something out of the book. I want to prove to you that you're smart. There's people out there. So let me back up a little bit. Uh, we have fucked up. We have fucked up. We, we, us. We, us. Uh, the world of tech, the world of design, the world of new media, however you want to fucking call it. Whatever definition of it that includes whoever is listening Grab that definition because you don't get to exempt yourself from it. I certainly don't exempt myself from it. Uh, we have screwed up. We had like such an amazing opportunity in front of us. We had like this this brand new thing uh, that showed up in our lifetime. The web, the, the commercial internet. Yeah, the, which, you know, the military was so nice to provide for us, which I'm not going to let you go off on a tangent about that because this show is about me. Next time. N- yeah. And... We had so much, and so much processing power and so much possibility. And we had like so many smart people running into this field because they wanted to be a part of it. And so, you know, so many creative people and so many, like, it really is like, I've seen the best minds of my generation in, invent banner ads.
1: It, it really is. So and we, congrats.
0: We we know the person who did. We do. Uh, <laughs> super nice guy, by the yeah, way. Yeah, really nice uh, guy. But anyway, so we had this amazing opportunity in front of us. And for various reasons, some of us, some of them are fault, some of them not, some of them because we were ignorant, some of them because we were lazy, some of them because we had absolutely no idea what we were playing with. Some of them because we're biased, racist, sexist assholes. We fucked it up and we can't claim to have not fucked it up. That, I mean, that ship sailed. We see it every, every day. There's a new story about how Facebook has lied to us. Every day there's a new story about like Jack Dorsey being an idiot. Every day there's a new, like they're they're making movies about how much we fucked up now. The Blood Lady movie. Holy shit.
1: Uh, Elizabeth Holmes. the Theranos. Yeah. Like that. That was just straight up con
0: artistry. Oh, that one. Yeah, that's just that one. So that one's a little easier to understand because that was just a straight up con artist. Yeah. Like that falls into like a very known, a very known box. Somebody lied to take everyone's money. The The, the more interesting problems are the, 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 the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Ubers where um, there's a little bit of that. There's also people who are actually trying to do something that they thought was good for the world and, you know, fitting it within like systems that don't allow anything good to come out of it yeah. and not thinking through problems and not looking at long-term outcomes. So given that as a baseline that we have fucked up, there are people working in this industry who I believe want to do the right thing, want to improve things, have the right ideas in mind and actually want to do good work for society. This book is a bet that there are enough people out there like that who need the tools to do that, need to believe that they're not alone in wanting to do that and Need like just something to say, I see you, you're not the only one, and let's all work together in fixing this. I also believe that there are people out there who are just outright evil or in way over their heads and they can't just admit that they've, they will never admit that they fucked up. This book's, in, this book is not going to change their mind, but it's that first group of people who. I wrote this for, and I think I can reach them. And I want to prove to those people that they're smart. Yeah,
1: because it feels like things really took a turn since, you know, we were both there at the beginning and there was a lot of optimism and excitement. And there was a story that everybody was telling themselves, which is, This is not the old economy. It's the new economy. The rules are different.
0: Yeah, the people are the same. The people were the same.
1: Well, people were the same. And I think it's become clear that I was going to say, well, the the economy is kind of the same. I think actually what happened was that we thought there was going to be this shift in the balance of power. There are so many books from like the late... 90s and the early 2000s that were about, I think there is one called the control revolution that was like, oh, control is going to the customers. Control is going to the people. Um, it's going away from big uh, incumbent corporations. And then something, something, and all of a sudden we're here and our democracy has been compromised. Our data is all out there in the open. Young people are in a ton of like college debt. Nobody has any sort of job security and we still don't have health care. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, how did that happen in the last 20 years when we started out so optimistically?
0: We weren't paying attention to what was actually going on. Yeah, that seems fair. I mean, while, you know, we were playing in, in our new media sandbox, the old white men of the GOP were busy gerrymandering all our congressional districts by design. In the biggest long tail game in American politics.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it's also- uh, That's one of the
0: things that happened.
1: That is one of the things that happened. Uh, Yeah, I I think when you look back, you really do look at how they were playing the long game. And Wait, all of a sudden we're talking about politics. How are we? You're talking about design. How the
0: fuck can we not talk about politics? Look, nice setup, by the way. Um, I'm here for you. Yeah, I know. You can't talk about this shit without, I mean- there's the 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 touchy feely feel good answer to this, which is there's nothing more political than choosing what you work on, who you work on it with, who you include in those decisions, and who you exclude from those decisions. And that's all true for all our talk about being progressive people. And what what's the word I'm looking for here?
1: Uh, inclusive, liberal, inclusive.
0: Woke. Liberal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The internet was mostly uh, built by white men. And every startup is mostly run by white men. And every team within every startup is mostly run by white dudes. And uh, the biggest problem of all is that uh, the venture company, the, the venture capital people, all white dudes who end up investing in other white dudes because those white dudes remind them of themselves when their dicks still work without pills. So it ends up being, you know, white dudes all the way down. And you've got companies being built by, you know, people who have like a very, very, very narrow point of view where, you know, they all grew up the same way. They all went to Stanford or some other Ivy League school. They all, you know, had... Things that they uh, needed growing up, which, you know, is great. Everybody should have all that shit. But it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when white dudes build things for themselves. And then you've got this, uh, you know, people saying shit like, you know, you build the tools that you want to use. Like, remember that old chestnut? Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when you build the tools that you want to use and the you is all rooms full of white dudes? Like, we're just building things for white. It's white dudes building things for white dudes. So the people that we've excluded from that, and I mean, there's a lot of talk about inclusion. It's only inclusion if you're already on the inside, right? For everybody else, they've been excluded from the thing. So that's bullshit. It's also stupid because we're building all of this shit that's supposed to be part of like a global economy. And you've got like one type of person building the things, which means, you know, don't you want everybody using it? And do you know how long it took Twitter to add blocking to their service? It, it was a while. It was a full year. It was out there for a full wow. year. And for, I mean, and this is before the Nazis showed up. So, But for a full year, like if you're, if your ex was on there or somebody who stalked you was on there or just somebody like some random dick that you didn't want to see what you were saying, you couldn't stop them from seeing it. And Twitter was, you know, founded by a group of white dudes.
1: Yeah, across the hall from us. Yeah, across which the hall from still us. remains amazing. And you know what?
0: They're, they weren't, except for Jack, uh, bad people. They were, you know. Yeah. But, but they only, they could only see their own experiences.
1: Yeah, and they were, like, even, they were nice people, but they were pretty privileged people. Yeah.
0: yeah. You put... A woman on that team, somebody who's actually had to deal with like cat calls and, you know, being stalked or harassed or, you know, had somebody, you know, had to deal with some bullshit throughout their lives. And all of a sudden, different decisions start, different things start getting talked about in this room, in that room where, where decisions are being made. Like, hey... What happens when some rando who you know you don't want seeing all your shit starts seeing your shit? Like, can you block them? Yeah. Like that decision would have been made so much sooner if that room had a little diversity in it.
1: Yeah, and I because I remember back when they they first came across the hall to to tell us about it to say oh you could like broadcast a like an SMS message to everybody and we were kind of like huh why but I'll tell well, you well still
0: I mean that was Noah. Yeah. Who, who, by the way, has been erased from their history. I know,
1: got super shafted. Holy
0: shit. But I remember my first words to him were, who the fuck would want to do that, Noah? It made yeah. no sense to me.
1: Yeah. But at the at the same time, I'll say like when they were talking about it, because we knew them and uh, this seemed like, you know, it, it was there and maybe it was like an outgrowth of like blogger and maybe it's related to like blogging or publishing or something like that. It didn't set off any red flags for me initially. Like I didn't see that. I was like, cool, that, sure.
0: You know, what didn't set off red flags for me was, was the weird little emo kid sitting in the corner <laughs> with the fucking nose ring on <laughs> who, uh, I didn't realize, oh, that's the motherfucker that's going to take down civilization sitting right there in his, in his, uh, uh, hand, hand sewn pants
1: yeah it's it's so funny Writing because poetry I have of all the people in that office, I have virtually like like you have from before I have virtually no memory of Jack
0: There's another reason why this had to be political. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at the workforce and a lot of these tech companies and most of these tech companies, there's three main groups I want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. You've got kids coming out of school saddled with somewhere in the $100,000 range of student loan debt. Some more, some less, but mm-hmm. that's not a crazy number to throw out.
1: Yeah, but a lot, a lot a of lot. people have a lot a of lot. debt.
0: I mean, I when I went to school, I think like a semester of, of college was like three grand.
1: Yeah, I was on a poor person scholarship. Yeah. So, woo!
0: Yeah. And on top of that, like I got, I got poor people money, grants and loans. But the idea that, that we let 20 year olds amass that much debt is criminal. And the idea that they have to go into that amount of debt to get an education is criminal. And then, so these kids, they emerge from school, they're in an an, an anxiety provoking amount of debt which I cannot imagine dealing with. And then, the, you know, they're offered a job at Facebook, pays well, and they start thinking about paying down that debt. And I'd do it. I would totally do it if I were them. And then you find yourself on some sketchy-ass project, making some sketchy-ass decisions. And you may see th- something that doesn't, you know, pass an ethical test or, or doesn't smell right, and you want to ask questions, and you don't like the answers that you're getting, and now you're here at the decision point of do I just shut up and do what I'm told, or do I actually like make a stink? And you start thinking, but I'm a hundred grand in debt.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because like I didn't even graduate. I, I, I had like barely, barely any loans to pay back. And my first job out of college just randomly was for a venture capital partnership. And I didn't even know what that was. And it was so funny that over the course of the time while I was waiting for the recession to end and some other opportunity for me to use my philosophy degree to pay off, um, it dawned on me like I would actually, because I was a total jerk 22-year-old, as I learned what their business entailed, I would literally go to the partners and say like, Wait, you take people's dreams and you exchange them for money and then you convert that into a vast multiple of wealth for yourself and this, you think this is good and they'd be like, yeah, it's awesome. Look at my house in Atherton.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, behaving ethically, I mean, you behave ethically regardless of whether you're, you know, making $8 an hour or $8,000 an hour there's there's no price on it but holy shit we got to make it easier for people like somebody shouldn't have to decide between like behaving ethically and paying down their student loans the second group i want to bring up and this is pretty much everybody your health insurance is tied to your job
1: yeah that that uh, more than anything else i yeah. think more than even student loans that constrains people's choices. And this is if your job, if you're lucky enough to have a job,
0: well, the reason that I pays bring your up, benefits. The reason I bring up student loans first is because when you're twenty two, you're coming out of college, you're pretty much indestructible. You don't you know you're not uh-huh. thinking about health insurance that yeah. much. You may even still be covered by your parents.
1: Exactly. So thanks, Obama.
0: Um, God, I miss that guy. Uh, anyway, so, but, but, you know, you, you, you get a little bit older, maybe you, you, you have some kids or, or, or Mm -hmm. you have your, you know, your own little ailment that comes up and all of a sudden you need your health insurance. Mm -hmm. And, and again, you're in the same situation being asked to do something really sketchy, getting to that point where, you know, you're making a decision between arguing for the right thing or deciding, you know, whether you want to lose your health insurance. And nobody should have to be, nobody should ever be asked to make the decision between working ethically and being able to take their kids to the doctor.
1: Yeah, and in other countries, like that's this not even a thing that comes
0: up. Well, I'm glad you mentioned other countries because that's the third group. A large amount of of our tech workforce is uh, made up of people on h one b visas and those are tied to your employer.
1: Yeah, and they are hard to get and expensive to get.
0: They're hard, they're expensive, they're tied to your employer and if Facebook or Twitter or Uber or Salesforce or whoever sponsors your sponsored your H1B visa and again, you're being asked to do something sketchy or you're being asked to do something that somebody hasn't thought through completely. Your decision now isn't it is like, should I fight for the right thing and risk being deported, being sent back to a country that I may not want to go to or may not be able yeah. like that might actually be dangerous for me to go back to. Uh, nobody should have to make that decision. Ethics are ethics, but holy shit, can we make it easier for people to do the right thing? We can make it a little bit easier. And this is all shit that we I mean, where are we gonna fix this except you know at the polls? Yeah. So there's why did you make this book political? There's two answers. I mean, there's political in the sense of like the personal is political and all that. And then there's political in the sense of the only way to change this is by actually changing our laws and how we work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's wow, every everything's
0: is uh, an enormous mess right now. This is a big problem. This yeah. this is not a problem. This is not a problem that's going to be fixed by your company creating an ethics department. Although I certainly yeah. encourage your company to create an ethics department if it doesn't have one, but it that is one of many 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 things that needs to happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's just like how you don't fix Bias against underrepresented minorities by all of a sudden, like having uh, unconscious bias training or little meetups.
0: Yeah. Or, you know, uh, uh, taking an empathy workshop.
1: Yeah. These are are structural problems that have to do with what kind of behavior is being incentivized or disincentivized. And so I think it's a matter of helping people get their heads around because first and foremost it is seeing the structural issues for what they are and then seeing what the incentives for that behavior is because i think this is where individuals get really demoralized and kind of throw up their hands is when uh, is when the story about why things are as they are is one thing and you're like oh i want to try to do the right thing but if you don't really understand why things are as they are And then you sort of put your best intentions, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to have this kind of training or I'm going to have this kind of meetup and you're not really attacking the core problem. That's why people are getting burned out on this stuff. That's why people are getting burned out on things like diversity and inclusion, because there's all this effort going to the wrong place because people don't, you know, see how far the rabbit hole goes on that and all that.
0: This is a complex problem to solve and... I think the effort to solve it is more important than actually solving it because we're not going to solve it.
1: <laughs> That's called a wicked problem. A what? A wicked problem. Those are complex problems that don't actually have a solution.
0: Well, I mean, the solution here is, is, is constant vigilance and constant small improvements. There's no big switch hidden in a closet in your company that you can flip from unethical to ethical. I wish there was, but there isn't. And at no point are we going to be able to say, solved it, we're all ethical now, we're all doing the right thing. But we can all do a little bit. We can all do a little bit Mm -hmm. better every day. We can, you know, all try a little bit more every day. And it's, it's, it's this sort of stupidly small incremental thing that, I mean, what, what's that old adage? Like, like planting a tree that you're never going like ben- to live to sit lift under
1: bi- or something. Yeah. yeah.
0: The greatest show of hope in the world is watching somebody plant a tree that they're never going to live long enough to sit under its shade. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the situation that we're in now. We are fucked. <laughs> We are going to be fucked for a while. It is going to take us a very, very long time to begin getting unfucked, mm-hmm. and most of the people who are currently fucked will not benefit from this unfucking. But it is a tree that we need to plant mm-hmm. because there will be people who come after us who will benefit from the shade. Yeah, that we start throwing. Th- we're not throwing. <laughs> no, that's a different thing, oh, Erica. I'm sorry. If we start. Thinking harder about what we do and the problems that we choose to solve and the people who we include in those solutions and making sure that all of those things will eventually lead to a better world, we may actually get there. If we don't start thinking of those things, if we start taking the Ayn Rand route of, I got mine, fuck you, and I just need to look after myself, we're dooming this planet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think facing the implications of our choices while simultaneously accepting that we do have to take this incremental approach, because I think purity tests are a real dangerous thing right now where people say, oh, if you can't do absolutely everything correctly for some definition of correctly, why even bother? Yeah. And I think that really undermines a lot of good progressive action as people who are like, uh, they start sniping about like, oh, this isn't
0: totally pure. Purity is a, is a is a horrible thing to look for in human beings, in either direction. We saw this happen before. Yeah, I mean, Doesn't the Nazis well. were giant giant fans of purity. Like, like there aren't like stop, <laughs> stop giving people purity tests. The left's doing it. The right's doing it. It's just people are inherently complex, fucked up weird-ass creatures. That's Mm -hmm. generally the best thing about them. They, you know, if you're lucky, you'll meet people who will admit when they're wrong about something and want to grow from it and want to get a little bit better. But you will never meet a human being who gets everything right. And if you did, how fucking boring would they be?
1: Yeah, super boring. Uh, So
0: so where can people buy your book? Oh, uh, yeah. They can buy my book on Amazon, they can read a sample chapter. Made a little website for it. Ruined by design. That's ruined by dot It's a clever URL for a clever book for clever people. <laughs> uh, there's a sample chapter there. The sample chapter is called Ann Rand was a dick." Objectively true, but yeah, there, it's available in uh, paperback and uh, ebook nice Aud- audio book coming soon audio book is coming so if you want to hear this for 6 hours yeah but you know i really suggest also uh getting something that you can highlight
1: yeah no it, uh, it it looks nice looks nice there yeah so who who should read this book
0: everyone so when i when i talk about design i talk about um anybody who has anything to do with the shit that we're building cuz I mean we're designing we're designing shit. Yeah. Like Twitter was designed mm-hmm. to behave a certain way, to work a certain way, and that has everything to do, you know, from, you know, uh their shit CEO of course, mm-hmm. to their accounting department, to uh their human resources department, to uh everybody that works there is is helping to design mm-hmm. what that is. That's what I mean by design.
1: Yeah. So every everybody is making choices now.
0: Anybody, yeah, everybody who's making a choice in a product is is helping to design that product.
1: Yeah, and I think all these so many choices are being automated uh, to an extent that even the very smart people building these systems are only now starting to see their uh, their true implications. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, do you have any any hope to offer uh, people? No. No. Okay.
0: That's not my job. The
1: oceans are rising. <laughs> the Nazis are on our shores. Uh
0: no, that's not true. Uh, in our I mean, McDonald's. The, the Nazis are are the Nazis are inside the house. Uh I do have hope. Uh you know what? what? All right. You know you you know where my hope lies? Kids. Where kids? kids? Kids
1: kids today. Yeah, kids who are out like marching in the streets. Yeah. Did you hear how like the British police were turning off Wi-Fi in the tube to prevent the climate change activists' children yeah. from coordinating? Yeah.
0: When I take a look at at, at like kids who were like entering college now, or or still like even in high school, and I see them out there marching, and I see out them uh, walking out, um, like advocating for gun safety and and all of that. I I'm putting my hope there.
1: Yeah, they seem to grasp the severity of the situation yeah. in the way many many adults are kind of refusing to see.
0: Yeah, and if, you know, my god, they're they're dealing with shit that that's only on their plate because we didn't deal with it. And that 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 makes me angry at myself.
1: Yeah, but again, systems these are all these are all systems, and as the wire showed us, the ability of any one individual to take agency within a system can be limited.
0: And yet, the people who we put on stamps, the people who we put make statues of, well, the good statues, not the shit Southern statues. Uh, I mean, the people who we look up to are people who fought the system, mm-hmm. not because their odds were good, but because their odds sucked and they fought in anyway. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to build statues to Jack Dorsey at any point. If we somehow do, I look forward to knocking it down.
1: Okay. So I guess we'll wrap up there. Thanks for joining us on another episode of voice of design. Ever uplifting. It's not, God, it's not, it's not, it's not. My name's Mike. And this is Erica. Please follow us on Twitter. The system we love to love. What's
0: the uh the little handle?
1: The little handle where you can reach us is vod underscore rocks. V-O-D underscore R-O-C-K-S. We couldn't
0: get something better, huh? What, how is
1: that bad? It's not great. I think it's pretty good. It's not it seems great. to working out. So yeah. tell your friends, have them buy the
0: book. Ruined by Design. Ruined. <laughs> gonna, ruined. Uh, ruined by Design.
1: By Mike Montero. I'm
0: going to suck at an audiobook.
1: Uh, you'll do fine. Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah, please read it. Tell your friends to read it. Tell your boss to read it. If your boss doesn't want to read it, throw it at their head. Yep. Bye.
1: It's throwable size. Okay. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.